Well, firstly, I want to bring greetings from India. Uh, had a great time away. Only got back, uh, I think, two mornings ago. And uh, Do- uh, Dave, Noel, and myself really did have a, a, a brilliant trip. A great trip. We all had the chance to use our giftings. Uh, all of us shared uh, the word. And, you know, spare a thought for, for Noel, for instance, who just... Um, first message that he shared sort of as a sermon. I mean, Noel is an experienced um, small group operator and a great leader in his own right. I'm not discounting that, but first message to share to a, a, a group and he has to share, get a load of this, to about uh, 200 pastors and leaders uh, through an interpreter uh, cross-culturally uh, in India. So, I mean, seriously, I, when he got down from that stage, and I think he got the biggest laugh of any of us with one of his jokes as well. So, honestly, a lot of credit goes to Noel for, for just stepping up like that. Dave uh, served well as well in, in speaking and just the encouragement that he brought. But uh, we just had uh, a great time over there. We brought encouragement, but like always, we receive encouragement from uh, a trip like that, a real highlight, and we'd love to get photos, of, you know, probably next week we'll hope to just narrow in a little bit more on what happened, but a real highlight was giving over the 40 plus bikes that we handed over to the uh, pastors that were being sent out, um, both male and female, and I tell you, it was a real moment as we prayed for them, uh, like the hands up in celebration, they were so excited about getting this gift, but we just know that this will help them in a very real way, practically get the Word of God out there into their communities. And I really mean it, that was a gift from us as a church. Sometimes we can look at these things like the big pot of money just gave a gift. No, we gave those bikes. You know, you that contribute to Vision Builders gave those bikes and it was a great blessing to the the group over there. Uh, I just also send warm greetings from Pastor Jose, who heads up the region. Pastor Jose is you know, unassuming pastor over there, uh, quietly spoken, lovely guy, and you get talking to him, say, oh, how, how many pastors do you oversee? Oh, 800, 800 pastors I oversee. You know, we, we can underestimate just the influence some of these guys have. Dave has a great story where he said, oh, and what, what does your wife do? Does she help out in the ministry? Oh, she, she's often got to stay, she, she runs a little school here that we have in Udaipa. Oh, okay, runs a little school. How many in the little school? What would you be thinking? 20, 30 for a little school? Oh, a thousand. She's got a thousand in the school, you know, and that's their mentality. They just serve God with all their heart and all their gusto. And again, we hope to talk more about this into the future. Is that me? Will I just tighten this a little bit? Um, Beyond this, India has about one billion people or thereabouts, and I'm pretty sure Dave Martin uh, interacted with most of those one billion people in some way or the other, and uh, India is a happier place because Dave was there, I'll tell you that, so maybe some of those stories will eke their way out into, into the wider population at some point as well. We laughed on this trip, I'll tell you that for free. All right, we're beginning our series today, from this day for, forward, our marriage series and um, you know after our relationship with God there's not many relationships that are more important or maybe a better way to say that is there's no relationships that are more important on this earth 
just want to say um, a quick message to singles, uh, people that aren't married here today. You might be wondering, well, what happens in this series? Do I just, you know, switch my brain off and, you know, forget about it? Can I just say two quick things on that? One is, um, most people eventually get married. Not, not all people, I do want to make that clear. That's, there's no mandate that somebody has to get married. We all know that the Apostle Paul, maybe the, the greatest uh, Christian below Jesus, you know, was, was not married. So, um, but certainly the things that you can learn for the future are important. It was nice actually talking to Nat and Megan in a time that Jess and I had with them at our house. And uh, we just talked to them about preparing for marriage. And Megan said, you know what? I take out the notes all the time from the last marriage series. And I've just been reading over them and learning So as I move into uh, this season of marriage. So certainly you can learn about the future. But you know what? The second thing I'll say very clearly is you'll, you'll feel it all through this series is the gospel of God's grace just wrapped up in this whole marriage series. And while we're talking marriages... In all truth, you could just insert the word relationships for so much of what we're talking, talking about. How do we do good relationships? So I really encourage you, if you are single, don't sort of feel like it's a disconnect. Uh, you'll get a lot of benefit from this series in, in many different ways. All right, well, again, just very interestingly in India, I had an amazing experience that I want to share with you, which really showed me something about marriage. Um, we got to see, they just sort of said to us, like happens in India, oh, by the way, today we're having a wedding. And I was like, okay, that's great. We were honestly excited about that. Well, it wasn't one wedding, it was a double wedding. So two brides at the same time, literally, uh, walked down the aisle, uh, obviously two grooms as well. And um, just to clarify, it's not the Uniting Church, it was... So anyway, keep moving on. That's because I've been around Dave Martin too long, seriously. So these guys walk down the aisle and um, I've really lost my place now. <laughs> these guys walk down the aisle and we find out it's an arranged marriage as well. So we were really sort of um, watching this with real interest. And to top it off, you know, we, we find out a bit about all this. They don't hardly know each other. They know each other. They've sort of been in the same church. Now, that might sound like, um, oh, right, they would know each other well. It's a church, quite a large church for India of about 300. But it doesn't work the same there. They, then they just culturally don't all hang out together. They're very separate. They see each other from a distance. They may interact from time to time. So this couple, these couples hardly know each other. And turning around to watch them walk down the aisle and uh, both girls are crying profusely like bawling their eyes out not just not sort of those happy tears that happen at a wedding but crying and I honestly thought oh this is a disaster something terrible's happened here you know they you know obviously they do not want to get married this is must be what it looks like and they said to me, I, I whispered to one of our guides, I said, what is going on here? Just, you know, is somebody going to step in? And they said, no, this is normal for North India. They cry and cry and cry. And uh, it is a sort of a letting go of their past life, a letting go of their attachments to their family. And through the marriage ceremony, they sort of move then into this deal of, you know, being uh, married to this new family and this new man that's in their life 
And interestingly, as the ceremony went on, it took a while, but eventually the girls started smiling and sort of starting being a part of the whole process. So we got asking about arranged marriages. Now, I'm not saying that I think, we, you know, our culture should move into arranged marriages, but I found something interesting out. Uh, the, the success rate in arranged marriages is really high. In fact, it's higher than the marriage rates that we have here in our Western culture. And I think part of the reason for that is they, they understand something about marriage that perhaps we don't understand. And I think uh, while they might not all be Christian, uh, I think fundamentally their understanding comes from uh, a, a God point of view about marriage. And that's really where I want to kick us off here today. Um, they understand some real fundamentals about marriage. Here's the first thing I want to say today about marriage is that marriage is God's idea, it's not our idea. We sometimes have a perspective about marriage like we came up with it or that, that it's what we do because we feel love to each other, that it comes out of feelings of love uh, and that's the whole basis of marriage and yet that isn't what we see when we read the scriptures. We know that God instituted marriage, it's something he thought up uh, he officiates at the first wedding in Genesis 2.22. It's his idea. Now, other things are man's idea. Hospitals, uh, men came up with, essentially, hospitals or um, social clubs or schools, some of these sorts of things, but not marriage. We see that very clearly as something that God initiated. So when you enter marriage, it's under God's authority that you enter marriage. At the end of, ch- uh, of um, uh, the chapter... Sorry, I think in Genesis, um, Paul tells us as well that, sorry, this is in Ephesians, he says, he made the male and female for this reason. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Uh, they come together. They become one flesh. The, the words, when you start to look at them, them there talks about being glued together. So marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. A contract says, I'll do this if you do that. A covenant says, I'm sacrificially committed to you in marriage. And this is important as we understand what marriage is all about and helps again us understand why these arranged marriages work because they say, I'm committed to you. I spoke to some of them later on who were married 30 years. I said, was your marriage an arranged marriage? I said, yes. And I said, do you have a happy, happy marriage? And they look at me blankly and I absolutely we're in love we we love each other have these beautiful families and i watch the husbands and the wives interact in love with each other so this is why it's important feelings then are not the essence of marriage Uh, sex isn't the essence of marriage not even children or having children is the essence of marriage the essence of marriage is a covenant a decision a promise between two parties that's why when hollywood says the vows they say I do. And when we say our vows in our churches, we say the words, I will. Now, it sounds perhaps pedantic, but I do is a lot more about how I feel in that moment. I do feel like this. I, I, I do want to do this. But I will is talking about the future. I will act like this. I will follow through on my commitment. So we say, I will. Now, sometimes people say, I don't need a piece of paper to declare my love for you. I don't, I don't need that. But essentially what this statement is saying is I don't love you enough to marry you. 
I don't love you enough to be fully committed to you. And I know that might sound harsh. Um, sometimes those who say those statements see marriage as something that's a lot more about emotion. Whereas God would say it's about a commitment, about a covenant between two people. A lot of times people don't want to give themselves over to that commitment to each other. They don't want that sense of something that can't be taken apart. Covenants are different before God between you and your spouse. A covenant of this type gives up personal freedom for the good of the marriage. So where do we go with marriage? Why don't marriages work all of the time? Well, there's a problem when we compare them to the way God would want marriages to work out. And I really see it in our Western culture. The problem is this, is that marriages are about me and not us. Marriages are about me and not us. A study in 2002 was done on why men won't commit. And what they found was that men and this is their words here, we're looking for perfect soulmates, someone that is very compatible. And they dug into this a little bit more and they found out that men more and more were looking for the perfect female to marry right at the point of their wedding day. Um, They were looking for somebody that would fulfill their expectations, their sexual expectations, their expectations for them to be a better person that would allow them to live their life how uh, they wanted to live it. Uh, They wanted their soulmate to be beautiful. And we live in a world that is driven by these sorts of things, driven by pornography and all sorts of sexualization. And so it it, it causes people to hold off committing because it's all about me. Jess and I had friends that we visited, uh, well, many years ago now. And um, it was a really interesting connection that we had with them. Um, First thing that we knew about this couple was the wife had told the husband um, basically he had to quit his job and get a better job, not because it wasn't good paying, not because they weren't doing well, but because she didn't like where it was on the sort of the social ladder, just didn't like what other people thought about his job. And we thought, well, that was, that was odd to start with. But we just had this strange day where we sort of spent time with them and the whole day was just filled with all of their achievements and the things they've got and their house and their car and how hard they were working and these incredibly, very clearly, it became apparent to us, separate lives that these two were living so that they got all of this stuff. And I remember we, it was seconds as we were driving out the driveway before we looked at each other and said, that marriage is in trouble. And sure enough, six months or 12 months later, we found out that they were... Uh, processing divorce and they're separated and divorced to this day and the problem here is self-centeredness you know marriage can be hard work but it's hard work because we have self-centeredness but what's the answer a submission that comes from Christ we're going to be looking uh, at the passage in Ephesians 5 as our basis for this whole series and I want to kick it off from verse 21 Ephesians 5 21 it says submit to each other out of reverence for Christ that's how Paul kicks off this whole beautiful passage on marriage submit to each other out of reverence for Christ that word submit is really a strong word it's a military word that we find in the Greek and it all came out of the military context of you better give up your life and your personal freedoms for the good 
of the greater cause, for the good of the greater unity of what's going on in this, I guess, this war effort that's happening. So it's a strong word. Give up your life. Give up what you think is important to you for the wishes and desires of others. Now that sort of submitting is hard. But here's the key to it all. When you read earlier on in that passage in Ephesians, you find that Paul begins describing what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Now normally when we think about being filled with the Spirit, especially often in our context, we think it's a dynamic power and it is. We think about being filled with the Spirit as sort of the gifts of the Spirit and all of the the other things associated with the Spirit. But it's really important to understand that at the end of this passage of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, we sort of see the final evidence as being somebody that submits to somebody else, that can give up their life for somebody else. That's an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And Paul would say to us, be filled and keep being filled. Know where the fuel station is in life. You know, simple point for all of us here this morning as we're getting into marriages is know where the fuel station is. It's hard enough as it is going through life in our marriages without the Holy Spirit in our life. We need that infilling, that refreshment of His Spirit to outwork its way into our life so that we submit to each other. Paul assumes, this is so interesting in this passage, he assumes if you're going to have a great marriage, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. It's just what you will do. He assumes you'll have the Spirit of God in you. He assumes it, and that's why this series relates to singles like it relates to those that are married. Because Paul assumes that part of your life, or, or a big part of your life, will be driven by the fact you have the Spirit of God in your life. And this is a big key to marriage, that when we line our lives up with Christ, our lives start to look different. Suddenly, we have the ability to submit to each other, and that's the starting point. And this ability to submit is not instinctive. It's not our natural way. We don't naturally just sit down and just feel the urge to submit to each other. It's something that we need the Spirit of God in our lives to, to change. Husbands need it. Wives need it. To be able to deal with this selfish orientation that we have. And I'll say a big statement here, but I believe the ability to submit to another person takes the Holy Spirit. And it's impossible for somebody that's not spirit-filled i believe that because we live in a we come from a sinful orientation we need that that born again moment with christ to change our life changing us from the inside out it doesn't mean that people that aren't christians can't have happy marriages actually believe that god blesses marriages in ways that we don't understand to keep the family unit together but it's his spirit in us christ in us that deals with the center, the problem of the heart. Now, this is only reinforced as we read on, and we'll do that now. Let's read on uh, right down to verse 25, starting at 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Should I repeat that one or? Little chuckle. 23. For the husband is the head of the church. For the husband is the head of the wife, sorry, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should 
submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, obviously there, um, you know, that passage starts out with sort of uh, fighting words. If you're sitting there as a wife, you know, wives submit to your husbands is where it, 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 it kicks off. And honestly, that little verse in Scripture has caused a lot of challenges for, uh, I guess, modern-day uh, society as we've grappled with wh- that one. But I always say this, immediately have a look at what follows. What's the very next couple of verses? It's husbands being told that they give up their lives as Christ gave up uh, His life for the church. That is no small words there. That, that is a comparison that we cannot miss. Uh, basically, you submit or you die. Which one do you want? You know, for the wives it's submit, for the husbands it's die. That's how serious this passage is about both of us giving up our lives for each other. And I sometimes wonder if husbands don't have it harder than the wives in the way that we have to lay down our life. I mean, give, us, give a thought for us husbands, huh? It's so tough for us. Maybe because we're worse, huh? Maybe because we've got a bit more selfishness in us. So Paul is applying this principle of love and grace to each other to marriage. You see this all through the Scripture. In Philippians, we're told to consider others uh, better than ourselves. In Galatians, we're told we're servants of each other. And when we get this radical solution in our life, I mean, honestly, this is the solution. If we get this radical solution right, marriages thrive, things are healthier, but it begins by being filled with the Spirit. In my years of being a pastor, I've heard on plenty of occasions, but you don't understand. We don't know what he's like. He doesn't communicate. She doesn't seem to care. He neglects me. Look, these things are not unimportant. I don't want to sort of be cold on this. They're not unimportant. But they're not the first thing that should concern us. As spirit-filled Christians, the first thing that concerns us is, am I submitting to my husband? That's the first question. Am I submitting to my wife? That is a radically different place to start. Before I worry about what they're doing and their attitudes to me, all the things that I see and all the faults that I see, am I submitting to the other person, laying down my life, giving up my personal freedoms for them? And you're probably already thinking, or some may be, but that is so hard, but you don't understand. But again, that is why we need this gospel-enabled power in our life. Because it's only possible when we're filled with the Spirit and understand that's the first part and that Spirit of God enacts and works out of our life. It's the gospel that gives you power. And a marriage is, is basically an, a lifetime of outworking the gospel into our own lives. It's why marriage is hard. It's, it's a reflection of that life transformation of the gospel working its way out in us. Uh, The gospel could be summarized like this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 
more flawed than we could ever dare believe, but more loved and accepted than we could ever dare hope. Those two things together. And that's the only love that sustains us in marriage. That is what enables us to love, dwelling on Christ. Notice it says we do this out of reverence for Christ. Reverence there means like an awe of Christ. Putting your attention and your affection back on Christ, loving Jesus Christ. Can I ask, what, what is it that drives you in life? 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us that we are compelled, or another translation, we are constrained by God's love for us. That's what drives us. What drives you in life? Is it anger at the situations you face? Is it what your peers think of you? Is that what drives you in life? Is it your level of success? Is it whether business deals worked in the last week? Whether you're getting the academic grades? What, what is driving you? Well, Corinthians there tells us that we are driven by God's love for us. What drives your life? The love of the gospel tells us it's not about the good that we do. Instead, it's what Jesus Christ has done. It's his perfect record that is enough for us. So he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. This is the gospel. This is understanding what he's done for us. His opinion of us is the only one that counts. So we get enraptured with that love. We dwell on that gospel power. We love Jesus Christ. I've heard it put like this. It's hard for anyone to afford to be generous if they've got no money in the bank. You, you just can't do it. You can't be generous if you've got no money to give or nothing to be able to give. And the same is true of love. If the only source of love that you have is your spouse, then you're going to find it hard to be generous with your love because your spouse will let you down. They won't give you the love that you're expecting them to give. They're broken people. If, however, you have the Spirit of God in your life, His unfailing love, if you're dwelling on that, reveling in that, then you'll have enough to be generous back to your spouse. It all comes back to that relationship with Jesus. And that's the work of the gospel in our life. That's His grace working in our life. So then we only really gain happiness as we put sustained work into loving Jesus in this way, continuing to persevere with that relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Again, we let go of our self-focus and we begin to live for him. A self-focused person is... Rarely, if ever, others orientated. Everything's me focused. The marriage problems are always the other person's fault. Not only that, but a self-focused person will offer, bring up excuses for their poor behavior. Whether we're the husband or the wife, we're not to live for ourselves, but for the other. And that is the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband or a wife, is that we live for the other person. When you get married, it's, it's amazing how quickly you begin to see the faults of the other person. I'm sure every married couple here, I hope, has had that experience. Well, I don't hope you have, but I hope it's not just me. 
I mean, I couldn't believe how many faults Jess had when we first got married. <laughs> I mean, has anybody else had that experience as you've got to know Jess? I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, I'd, but it is amazing, isn't it? You go into marriage and think, what? Where did that come from? That's not what I expected. So you know what I did? I started subtly just letting her know about her fault. We all did this, you've all done that. But just subtly sort of indicating the areas that, that, that are of weakness that, that she has. And guess what she did? She started subtly letting me know about my areas of fault and selfishness. And the truth is, we both had selfishness in our life. We both have faults in our life. And um, we were both selfish. Although hers was a little bit more than mine, but we'll just <laughs> move on from that. And <laughs> she's telling you, don't even laugh at him. That's one of my faults. I'm funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm a truth teller. That would have been funnier. And why? Because we live in an imperfect world. This is why we're broken and we're messed up. We live in an imperfect world. We have imperfect parents. We, we have an imperfect environment that we live in, an imperfect society. And so we carry this brokenness and this junk into our marriages. And then we wonder why we struggle with them. We carry wounds into our marriages. And then we carry this thing around and, and it can wreck the relationship that we have. And the problem is, and this principle counts whether it's married, married or not, we can foster those wounds. Our, our, our wound, our brokenness, the things that have gone wrong, the way our parents treated us, whatever it might be for you, can be the thing that we focus on in our life. And we can expect the other person to deal and understand about our wound. I mean, this is how we'll often do it. We have one of two ways. So you better understand how broken I am, the problems I have. You better cater to the issues of my life. And that's what we do when we carry around the wound. The wound is not wrong. It's not like it's not true. These things, this junk that we have in our life are real things, but we expect the other person to be the person that sort of sorts this thing out or, or understands, this is who I am. I am like I am because of that. And yet that is not the deepest issue in our life. When we do this, an emotional distance starts to build up because the other person can never satisfy the issues of, of your life, can never be good enough for you. So a distance builds up. It's sort of like this cold politeness, but that eventually works its way out to be a harsher sort of reality of a marriage. Sometimes it drifts into a cold, distant marriage. Very often it drifts into a divorce. Don't let this be us. Don't let our woundedness be the thing that defines our marriage. I'm not saying these things don't happen. But the gospel would tell us that there's a deeper problem. And that problem, behind it all, all of us have the problem of selfishness, of being self-orientated. Own your selfish state. Put your hand up and confess it before God. It belongs to you. You determine to see that your selfishness is more important than anything else that's going on here. Treat your flaws more as more important. And act on that selfishness. And begin to see the needs of the other person. Begin to serve the other person. If two people do that with the grace of Christ in their life, they own up for what they own, 
truly great marriages start to evolve because suddenly you're acting on yourself. You're the only one. It's the old cliche, but you're the only one that you can change with God's grace. You're not spending your effort trying to manipulate the other person, but you're spending your effort submitting to the other person. That's how you deal with your selfishness. You begin to submit to the other person and serve the other person in love. You might ask the question, what happens if I do that, but the other person doesn't do that? I mean, if I, I serve my heart, but, but what if they don't do that? Or what if they're not deserving of that? We've already dealt with that. We serve anyway. We love anyway. You know, very often, I, I, I wouldn't say always, I don't think that would be fair to say, but very often, this is what I see. If one person decides to love with a gracious love and uh, a pouring out of love, even when it's not deserved, even despite the woundedness, even despite the brokenness, it begins to touch the life of the other person. And I actually see this especially applying to men because they find it hard to admit their faults. So what I'm saying there is when I, 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 the, the wife submits in that way, it touches the heart of a man. Uh, Jess and I, um, we have a great marriage, but we haven't always had a great marriage. And uh, we've never contemplated divorce or, or, or anything like that. But I'm pretty open about it now. I know certainly in our early years of marriage, to be really honest and tell some truth, I had plenty of selfishness in my life and I'm far from there now. But I just recognized that back then I was full of this sort of self-centered orientation. And uh, we were having a difficult patch in, in our marriage, like all marriages will have at some point. And um, it wasn't crisis situation or anything, but you know, you just sense that distance and that, that sense of this thing's not working well at the moment. And I'm so thankful that Jess caught this principle quicker than I did because we often talk about it now as a pivotal sort of time in our marriage. I just remember that Jess started loving me more, not less. Like there was a season where we were both distant, but Jess just started loving me more and it was simple things it was like let's go out for a cup of coffee or I don't know I made you this today or you know let's let's go out on a date let's sit down and talk and I just started to see my wife loving me in an, in an extra dimension in an extra way and it softened my heart I, I distinctly remember some of these moments of just my heart becoming softer and my love suddenly growing, you know, allowing me then to, to see, I, I think I started owning the stuff that was going on in my life at that time. And she did it because she was responding to Christ, not to me. I didn't deserve that level of love. Now, I do want to say, of course, there's times when, uh, for different reasons, that may not work. Sometimes we're so broken that we need a bit of external help. I'm a big advocate for saying sometimes you just need to go and talk to a counsellor and just help them, th they're experts in untangling what is going on there. Um, you know what though, at the end of the day, always there's a selfishness issue in one or both partners. It's always the core problem for human beings. But I'm just saying sometimes you need to get a bit of that expert advice, somebody that can help you walk along the road. In Genesis, it says, sin is crouching at your door, 
master. What he's really talking uh, to Cain there in that instance, he's really saying, hey Cain, you've got a moment here where you're going to have to deny yourself, where you're going to have to deal with this selfish urge that's in you. What are you going to do? Are you going to turn to me or indulge your own self? You've got a choice. You've got to respond. And we respond to the gospel of grace. We respond by being empowered by his gospel in our life that banishes that selfishness by being filled with the Spirit. And I just want to be really clear, we can be believers in Christ, I believe, but sort of walk a very casual walk with Christ. We cannot be filled with the Spirit. The Scripture indicates we've got to continually be filled with His Spirit. We've got to continually love Jesus, lift our eyes up to what His gospel has done, what His death on the cross has meant for us. It changes us. It's our choice. Remember, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. That's what motivates us. We've got a deliverer and it is Christ. You know, this is the fundamental difference when you read the scriptures. When you read marriage books, how to have a good marriage, here's the truth. You'll get great insights and great wisdom. Some of it's probably truth. Some of it's good stuff. The scriptures are the only place that will take you to our deliverer, who is Christ, to the one that deals with the selfish heart of a man and a woman. And that's always the first place to start. So I'm going to challenge us here today. If you're here today and you know that this is an issue in your marriage, you feel that prompting of the Spirit even speaking to you right now, I would say it's a time to confess that a time to get it right, a time to start right at the beginning and say, Jesus, I need your help. I need to confess my brokenness. I need to be filled by your spirit. And we'll open the, the front here at the end of the service and perhaps you'll be bold enough to just come forward and, and receive prayer and have a moment of just saying, I need to confess that. Uh, I'll really be honest with you, there's plenty of times in my life I would be at the front of a service uh, front of a church after a service like this. Uh, another option would be though to talk to your connect group leaders or trusted friends. The scripture says though on some things we confess our sins to each other. I'd encourage you to make it a moment, to make it real and confess your need for Christ to radically change your life. Again, you know, love to give this invitation there'll be some people here that may not have ever made that decision to follow Christ I want to be real honest that moment of, of following Jesus that's quick and, and in many ways it's easy because you're just having faith in what he's done for you but that life of obedience is truthfully a life of devotion and that's a challenge in itself but why wouldn't you take it up when he gives us his incredible amazing grace to help us along on the process so similarly if that's you we'd love to pray for you and sort that thing out that's central to all of the issues of our relationship that issue of self but it always comes back to him it always comes back to that spirit enabled power in our lives let's pray Heavenly Father, we just again thank you for your amazing grace, the gift of your Son that allows us to gather together and talk about 
something that seems as natural as marriages, but we really realize at the end of the day has a spiritual dimension to it, that issue of self. And God, we, we thank you for your grace and your love that works its way into our life. God, we just receive it afresh this morning. Lord, I pray, Father, for all marriages that are here. Well, for all of us, God, that would be filled by your spirit again this morning. That we would recommit ourselves, God, to just receiving of your grace and your power. God, the issue of selfishness is, is really everybody's issue, but it's overcome by you on the cross. So we put our faith and our trust back into you and we receive your goodness and your grace this morning. Just speak into the depths and the deep parts of our heart, we pray. Change us, God, from the inside out and give us a revelation of your overwhelming love for us that enables us to love others. We thank you for the care and attention you give to marriages and we pray for them. In that mighty name of Jesus, amen. Jess, do you mind just getting a book that's in that bag there? This whole series is based on uh, a guy called Tim Keller in New York, if you've heard of Tim Keller. Um, he's written a book, The Meaning of Marriage. And just um, highly recommend this. You can grab them from the bookshop. If they sell out, they'll order them and get them in. But just one of the most acclaimed um, uh, teachers on this subject and highly recommend you grabbing the book and following along with this series as well. We continue uh, the series next week. I hope that you're here and uh, just fully engaged. Always like normal, we open the front here for prayer of any type. Otherwise, have a fantastic day and we'll see you all next week. Bless you heaps.